Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. By MosiPro Online Backup. MosiPro protects your business's data with simple, secure, and affordable backup solutions. Find out more at mosey.com slash words. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Martha, when I was in school, we had mascot names like the Troy Trojans. That's kind of logical for a place called Troy, right? The Trojans? Oh, I thought you were going to say for a high school. Um, the Troy Trojans, yeah, that yeah, works. Yeah, yeah, okay. That and works. what about the Greenville Bears? The Greenville Bears, yep. okay? Yep. Yeah, we had, that's pretty good. Yeah, we had the Atherton Rebels. Rebels, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that, there's a fighting force behind that. You feel like you could cheer on the Rebels. But could you cheer on the Cupies? The what? <laughs> the Cupies, the no. Hickman Cupies. This was in town uh, in, in Columbia, Missouri, where I went to the university. Um, there was a Hickman High School had the Cupies were their mascot, as in Cupie dolls. You know those cute little plastic sure. dolls with the curl, the lock, the curly lock right in the forehead? The Cupies. I don't think I could cheer on the Cupies. But I'm looking here at a list. There's a variety of lists online um, of interesting names of high school mascots. And I guess you kind of get tired of everyone being the rebels or the tigers or the Indians or what have you. So you get things like the Mer- – these are also from Missouri, my home state, Maryville spoof hounds. I have no idea what the story is behind that. Spoof hounds. Oh, my what gosh. What is a spoof hound? Well, I'm interested in reading all about this. I've been really into naming lately, and I'm looking at names of team sports and trying to kind of figure out what's the power there. Sometimes it's a history element, right? If you call yourself the Cupie Dolls, it's probably because, and this actually is the real story, they're called the Cupies because the person who supposedly made the Cupie is from that town. So you're oh, borrowing really? a bit of local history and naming your team after that. Makes sense, right? You're naming uh, yeah. your, your student body after it, I guess. So oh, yeah. I'd be right? really intimidated by the fighting Cupies if I were on the other side. And I assume that the Maryville spoof hounds have something similar going on, although I can't be sure. I was not able to get to the bottom of that origin. Okay. Spoof hound. That's, that's not so bad. What about the Watersmeet Nimrods? The who? The Watersmeet? Watersmeet, Michigan. The Nimrods. Uh, no, yeah. But Nimrod's kind of old-fashioned. Do people still understand that that means um, a doofus or fool? I think so. Well, tell us about your high school team names, whether they were the Fighting Porcupines or the Apple Knockers. Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or if you have a question about any aspect of language, call us. One eight seven seven W A Y W O R D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, hello. This is Audra Antrim, and I'm from Bristol, but I'm um, on site right now with a client in Hartford. Okay. And I am dying to know the correct pronunciation of the word. What I say, sorry, when one apologizes. And people always tease me. I was born and raised in Connecticut, but they tease me and my sister and say, that's because your father's from Brooklyn. My father's from Brooklyn, New York, and he has a little of that, you know, sorry and very, and he has the New York accent. And then other people have teased me because I'm half Italian on my mother's side, and they'll say, oh, 
you're being emphatic. That's the Italian in you saying sorry. However, my Italian grandmother used to always tease and say, it's sorry. What's the sorry? Sorry. It's sorry. And then my husband, who is actually a Southern black American, his family says, really says, sorry, sorry. And um, my mother insists that it's actually sorry. That's what my mother says. Oh, and my it comes gosh. Up, I know. There's four different variations, and it comes up, and it's such a good sentiment when one uses it. So I figured, let me get the get the deal on this and figure out who's right and if there's any merit to any of these different racial, ethnic, geographical reasons as to why we're pronouncing it, pronouncing it so many different ways. Oh, my gracious. I'm picturing this, and then somebody says the word, and then they feel that like they have to apologize for it. Exactly. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. exactly. The vowel was wrong. Like Say it my right. son, my oldest son, who is in middle school, who says, Sorry, like his mother. Uh-huh. People are like, "What's with the sorry?" Uh-huh. So help. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, you're not you're not going to resolve this happily unless you all agree that everyone's right. That's the key. Oh, uh, we might be able to go there after a glass of wine. But go ahead. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's just lay it down a little bit. Yes, there are regional differences in the pronunciation of this word. S O R R Y. For some people, sorry and starry rhyme. S T A R R Y. For others. Sorry and lorry rhyme, like the British word for truck, L-O-R-R-Y. Yes. Um, yes. So, and other people say sorry. I'm kind of exaggerating the pronunciation here in order that it can be really apparent to everyone. And other people say suri. I, I mean, again, exaggerating it. And there's different numbers and stuff. As far as I know, most people say sorry kind of to rhyme with the Indian garment, the S-A-R-I, the Indian Indian yes. garment, you know. Yes, yes. Um, but in the Great Lakes region, including Illinois and Wisconsin, people tend to say sorry. It's a little different. And those are the two dominant pronunciations. But like I said, there are two others. going. And then don't forget about the Canadians. There's a uh, Calgary dialect coach who, who, who claims that Canadians say sorry as if it was spelled S-O-E-R-R-Y or something like that. And sorry. that's what it sounds like to me. And actually, in my circle of friends in Brooklyn, as a matter of fact, we really? tend to mimic one of our Canadian friends when she says it because we'll go, sorry, sorry, <laughs> you know. Okay. And usually when you say it that way, you don't actually don't mean it. <laughs> so the Canadians always. So you are from like Brooklyn, but you say sorry. Well, I'm not from Brooklyn. I lived there for 16. Years. I lived in oh, New York okay. for a long time. But but no, I say sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and I mean it when I say I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't think there's a racial component. I think uh, I think your husband's family probably is just they belong to, um, to the a geographic region. group that says it that way, and not a racial group that says it that way. So I'm sorry that we can't um, <laughs> give you a definitive <laughs> answer, but you wanted to be right, didn't you? I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to know the right way. That's the thing. There are dialects in this country. It's not a monolithic nation of speakers. And so the cool thing is we can get into those dialect differences and enjoy them and have a family laugh together about exactly. how we're all a little different. And that's kind of nice. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. dialect means never having to say you're, never mind. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> Dialect means never having to say you're sorry. Anyway, Audrey, you were great fun. I'm going to invite you to my next party. I'm telling Thank you. you. Let's invite the whole family. Thank you so much. Oh, Have yeah, that'd be fun. We'll sit back and shoot video, right? The whole family <laughs> yeah. arguing about sorry. And then we'll put it on sorry, I mean, sorry. I mean, sorry. Love it. Oh. Love it. Anyway. I know. I love it. Such fun, and I love words, and you guys are fabulous, and I just... 
I'm just thrilled to have been part of the show today. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for calling. Thank you for Alrighty. taking some time. Bye bye. All righty. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. <laughs> Grant, what a hoot. If you've got a mild family dispute like this, we don't want to hear about the divorce that's underway, but if you have a <laughs> If you have a mild family dispute about language, give us a call, 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Oh, hello. You have a way with words. Hi, this is Katie Knickerbocker calling from Bozeman, Montana. Hello, Katie. Welcome. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks. I had a question. It came up, I guess, a couple months ago. I asked my husband a question, just something simple like, where's the dustpan? And he replied by shrugging his shoulders and saying, mm. And it just kind of struck me as odd that I knew exactly what he was saying just by the tone of that little phrase. And I was kind of thinking about other stuff like um, phrases like nuh uh and uh huh that we know just kind of by the tone or, or by the um, inflection of someone's voice. And I was wondering, is there a name for that type of phenomenon, like a shorthand for speaking? Hmm. Katie, those are just another kind of interjection. There are other things that they can be called as well, but interjection is the more common thing and, and probably the one you're most likely to know from your, from your own education. Um, some linguists might call them inserts. They might call them a type of vocalism. But the main thing that's interesting about all of these kind of guttural utterances is that they tend to be used in back-channeling. I mean, we will use them in normal conversation and normal discourse to answer questions, but usually you encounter them, say, on the telephone when you're talking and the other person is letting you know that they're listening and they go, uh-huh, oh, mm-hmm. mm, oh, mm. Then those <laughs> sorts of things, that kind of back-channeling is so necessary um, that we we do have a – they have semantic contact. These sounds that aren't quite words, they have meanings. They have yes and no and I don't know and maybe and really and all these other other kind of nuances that are important to, to speaking. It's really just another perfectly normal form of communication. Yeah, how about feedback markers? I've also heard that term used. That's for, right. Mm-hmm. Feedback markers are exactly what they're exactly what they're called when they're used in conversation. But the Katie, the scenario that you set up for us, uh, you and your husband talking, and he just replied uh, with "uh," right? Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. That's a little. That's a, that's a little outside of normal normal back channeling or normal discourse. It's just uh, him taking that semantic meaning. Thing, oh, I don't know. But the, here's the key to it: it's less emphatic. It's less forceful. If he said point blank no, no, or if he just said no, you're more likely to be offended. And so by using okay. something a little milder, a little softer, he can make sure that you understand that his no isn't a refusal to help you. And it's not a, it's, he's not dismissing your question as being ignorant or irrelevant. He's just simply saying, I don't know. Yeah. No, more, no more semantic yeah. value to it than that. Well, so I don't a, know. Did he, did he help you? Were you were you trying to clean something up and he just said, mm. "Well, I just asked where it was. He didn't know, and he said that way, and it, it was strange because it kind of came off a little flippant, like, well, you should know, you know, I don't know if that's oh, did just it? a husband well, what, and wife what? thing, but um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting that it, those those sounds like implied words, and everyone would have recognized that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's got value. Most dictionaries include all forms of these. You'll find. 40, 50, 60, depends on the dictionary, interjections of these types. Uh-oh is the one that everyone knows. We can write it out in, in letters, but really it's best said. What's really interesting about a lot of these is they have what's called a glottal stop in them. Uh, uh, that, that thing that comes after the uh, yeah. uh-oh or an uh-uh. 
you know? A lot of them have that sound that they all share. There's a fellow by the name of Steve Parker, and he's looked into these, and he calls these affirmation grunts. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's analyzed these affirmation grunts in hundreds of languages, and he's written papers on this stuff. Is, it's really interesting to me. I'll, I'll put a link to one of them online. Um, the, the paper is amusing. The title of the paper is amusing as well. Toward a Universal Form for Yes – or rhinoglottophilia and the affirmation grunt. <laughs> Sounds like a crazy band that you do not want to play at your wedding. I went away for the movie. That's. <laughs> but in any case, so so a lot of studies been done. It's because there is meaning there. There's a there's an important contribution to conversation that's happening when somebody makes that utterance. So. Ah, Great. Also, you'll you'll have to call this segment of the show away with grunts. Yeah, <laughs> Martha and Grant, sure. I can never right, thank that you guys. <laughs> All right, bye bye. Thanks for calling, Katie. You're welcome. Take wow, who yourself, knew there was probably. so much to say about grunts? Really? 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 If you got a question about guttural utterances, give us a call one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. And don't forget about Twitter. You can find us there at the username wayward. W a y. W-O-R-D. Next on Away With Words, we'll be holding a mirror up to language. Yats denut. That's uh, stay tuned backwards. Get it? Mirror backwards? Anyway, stick around. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And hey, who is this? It's our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hello, John. baby. Hi. What's Hi, up, Grant. buddy? How are you doing over there? Hello. Good, good. I'm doing great. It's a nice day here. And this is what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a quiz today. It's called, there's an app for that. I'm going to give you the definition of a word. And this will be a word that becomes a new word if you add APP to the beginning of it. Okay. Okay. For example, if I said the opposite of begin, you'd think... Append. Uh, a pen, a pen, yes. right? Mm-hmm. App, okay. app, and you get a pen. It's pretty simple. Okay. okay. Yeah. Good. Sure. Ready to go? Mm-hmm. Good. Here we go. Here's the first clue: the organ you use to hear. Appear. Appear. Good. Ear. Appear. Right, here's the next one: freedom from difficulty or effort. Appease. Appease. Very good. Oh, very nice. Nice. How about this one? Told a fib, prevaricated. <laughs> Applied? <laughs> Applied. Applied. Nice work. Okay. How about a soothing balm or a salve? Appointment. Nice. Appointment. Thank you, Martha. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice long one. Appointment. Appointment. Here's the next. A common household insect of the order Blataria. Approach. Uh, Approach. (laughs) Good. I was approached by a roach last night, but uh, I got the better of him, I think. Here's the next. To wander about, to roam. (laughs) I was going to say a wander, but... um, (laughs) um, In this case, the word, word, once you add the app to it, the the sound changes. Mm. To wander about, to roam. Right. To roam is to... To range, mosey. Think of uh, think of uh, the Bush White House and, and, and a certain person who was an advisor. <laughs> oh, approve, <laughs> right? Approve, rove, and approve. That's nice. good. You got the tricky one. Okay. 
Now, now those are pretty good, but let's let's change it up. These next words take APP not at the beginning, but somewhere within the word. Okay? Okay. Okay. For example, if I said a vehicle used to glide down a snow-covered hill, you might respond. Um, well, you would think it would be a sled or a toboggan. Right. But no, sl- sled is correct. Now, sled. add app somewhere in there to get a new word. A slapped? Slapped. Yes. Very uh-huh. good. Ah, okay. Oh. I see. Oh, God. tricky. Yeah. Here's another tricky one. A female chicken. Happen. Happen. Very good. Yes. Hen. Happen. Nice. How about a lightweight chord or part of a violin? Strapping. Strapping. Good, Grant. Yes. Oh, that was right. a That was a teamwork. I heard, heard Martha start in on that one. Very good. String strapping. Good. Here's another. Pioneered. Had the advantage in a race. Led. 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 Lapped. Lapped. Right. To drink oh. up with the tongue <laughs> like a cat. Nice work. All right. And here's the last one. To weep. Oh, crappy. Crappy. Very good. <laughs> Cry to crappy. Yes, and on that crappy note, I am going to take my leave. You guys did really well on that uh, app puzzle. Oh, well, that was an you. easy one, John. Are we in trouble next week? Maybe. I Although would, Martha, we'll Martha got all of them right. I didn't do anything here but make notes. Well, I was, <laughs> I was waiting for the clue, a horse that's not a winner. A horse that's not a winner? Mm-hmm. Is this have app at the beginning of Appaloosa. it? Yeah. Appaloosa. <laughs> That's great. We're gonna we're yeah, turning yeah. you guys into puzzle creators, which is really good. Do I have I've a future as a quiz guy? Do you think? Yes, you're in. You're in the club. <laughs> All, All right. Well, thanks, John. This was super duper. Thank you, guys. I'll see you next time. And if you want to talk about words and how we use them, grammar, slang, any aspect of language, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, how are you? Super duper. Who's this? This is Tafrica Harewood from Indianapolis, Indiana. Hi, Tafrica. Welcome to the program. Welcome. Thank you. I am calling because I'd like to know the origin of the word colorblind and when it started being um, used to reference um, people who are considered to be tolerant of others' differences, whether it be racial or color differences or what have you. Oh, interesting question. What got you wondering about that? Um, well, my husband and I were reading um, an article in Newsweek about whether or not babies are racist, which was very, <laughs> very interesting question. Huh. And uh, it used the term colorblind, um, and then we got talking about it and wondered if you guys could give us an answer about that. (laughs) How interesting. I didn't read the article. What did it say? Um, It was just talking about whether or not children are born um, knowing difference and being able to kind of segregate themselves according to their own differences or if that's taught by their parents. Oh, interesting. Okay. So so in that context, they were using the term colorblind to mean just sort of oblivious to the color of one's skin. Exactly. Is that right? Okay. Um, well, I can tell you that the earliest uses of colorblind had to do specifically with that physical inability to see certain colors, the 
colorblindness that we think of as as afflicting about what about eight or nine percent of the population I think mm-hmm. okay. mostly men right yeah mostly men you know when they can't see certain colors and that first came to light in 1794 the phenomenon did there was a scientist named John Dalton in England who realized that he and his brother saw things differently. And he ended up writing this paper that at the time um, really caught people up short because people hadn't really thought about that before. And so for a few decades, it was called Daltonism, that, that physical condition. And then people started using the term colorblind instead. But the original sense of colorblind was, as I said, that physical inability to see certain colors. It's such an interesting phenomenon that pretty soon it took on metaphorical connotations, you know, being mm. colorblind as to politics or something like that. People started using it metaphorically. Or, or colorblind to gender as well. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that weird? Colorblind to gender. And um, also in reference to race as well. Okay. Wow. Yeah, you can find it in reference to race as early as 1865, maybe even a little earlier than that. There was a Anglican bishop who was a a black man who was uh, the first Anglican bishop to be something other than than white, and um, Samuel Crowther, I believe, was his name. And so the term came up in some some writings related to his appointment. Okay. And and wow. by eighteen ninety, by eighteen ninety, colorblind to mean insensitive to the color of one's skin was so entrenched that people wrote about it in terms of. Uh, that was the main use of it outside of of medical cases, you know. Almost, it's almost always about race these days when you talk about colorblindness, right, Martha? We would almost never say it in reference to, to gender or disability. Exactly. But for a while there, it was fairly general. Glad we asked. <laughs> I'm glad you had an answer. I really appreciate it. We are, too. And now I want to go look up that Newsweek article, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was really interesting. Well, thanks a lot for calling, Tafrica. Thank you. Have a Thank great you. One. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, Grant, it's really fun to look at um, scientific writings around that period when people started getting a clue. Because why why wouldn't you assume that everybody saw colors the same way that you do? But there are all these accounts of people figuring out that this captain ran his ship aground because he couldn't tell the difference between the red lights and the green lights on the buoys. Ah, very interesting. Yes, and I remember that they're reading that there was this is the period when people started to understand more clearly that some traits were inherited through the family line that weren't obvious, like the color of the eyes or the color of the hair, right? People started to understand that there were other things about the body that were passed from the parents to the children. Hmm. Fascinating stuff. Well, if you were reading an article and a word jumped out at you and you're curious about it, call us 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Derek. I'm calling from Provo, Utah. Hello, Derek. Welcome. Hi, Derek. Welcome yeah, I, to the program. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on the show, by the way. I, I love it. I've been listening since like 2005 and I just love it. We're delighted to have you. What's up? Thank you. Well, I have a question, and I have a theory. And I guess my question is actually if my theory is correct. <laughs> um, but my, question, my, my theory is um, about the word really. Um, I feel like I notice a particular way that people use this word, including myself, um, and it's, it's all, it has to do with the, the tone of voice that they use when they say this word. And um, it's like when they say, really? And so I have, I have a few examples, um, but my theory is that this comes from Tina Fey. So would you like the examples? Sure. Um, oh, yeah, sure. Okay. 
Well, like, when something doesn't work, like, maybe your calculator doesn't work or your phone doesn't work, you'll just look at the phone and you'll just say, really? Really, phone? You're not going to work for me? <laughs> or, or another one is, like, when a professor, um, maybe there's a Thanksgiving break or a three-day weekend or something, and the professor gives a lot of homework for that particular weekend. You just look at the professor and you say, really? Really, we have this homework? <laughs> and so I think that when they say it in that tone of voice, it's like a way of, of calling out the ridiculousness of something or, or a person's behavior. That's a great way to put it. Well, just, the, my theory is that this comes from Tina Fey, because um, on, on SNL, on Saturday Night Live, she had this, and they still do it, this, this segment where something ridiculous will happen in the news, and then Tina Fey would say, really? And I, don't, I, I, I just think that maybe this comes from, comes from that. Yes, yes, yes. I noticed this earlier this year, and I was like, what is the deal with this new catchphrase? I mean, people have been saying really in this way for, uh, you know, really to mean um, doubt or skepticism or to indicate yeah. that you're not really sure that that's what they meant really? for a long time. That's not really? new, but it's it's this particular, yeah, it's exactly that, that particular way. You nailed it, Derek. You got it exactly right, that particular way of saying it, and also the compulsion on the part of the speaker to say it that way. They can't help themselves. It has yeah. all the hallmarks of a catchphrase. And I think yeah. you're right. It's this I, – I've seen the segments on Saturday Night Live. They call it Really with Seth and Amy. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think uh, Amy Poehler is on the show anymore. It was Seth Meyers and Amy Poehler. And they do this. They just basically pick some public figure who's done something absolutely ignorant, you know, something just ridiculous. And they make fun of them. And they just keep saying it in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Really, Blagojevich? Really? That's your best effort? You know, and Elliot they just Spitzer, keep, yeah. really? Yeah the, whole, yeah, the whole thing is just them coming up with these, all these different ways to mock these public figures. And, 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 and it's just layered. I mean, it's just riddled with the word really. <laughs> really? Really? That's all you got for me? It turns out that this Saturday Night Live segment, which I didn't, wasn't quite aware that Tina Fey did it, but it's so Yeah, I hard. don't remember her doing she's, it. She she's did so, it? She's so 100% awesome. It, I, couldn't, I, I want to give her credit for it anyway, even if I can't prove it. She's just, <laughs> I she's like great. Tina Fey, so I'll yeah. give her credit. I think that's where it came from. I hear a lot of people doing this. I hear it in casual conversation. Uh, colleagues say it. I've heard people mm-hmm. say it on the radio. I've heard people say it in podcasts. I've seen it in scripted T- acted television shows and, of course, really? on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And, and, and it's the compulsion of it, which I think underlies the, my whole argument that's a catchphrase. Really, as a word, isn't new. Saying really right. to express skepticism isn't new. But that particular tone of voice and the, and the compulsion on the part of the speaker to come out with it, that's what makes it a catchphrase. Okay. Yeah, I think it's really handy. It's a great way to make fun really? of... Really? Really? That's what you're <laughs> yes, going to say to yes, me? Yes, really? really, I do. It's a great way to make fun of public figures who should know better. You know, really, yeah. Kanye? Really? I mean, yeah. you can hear parents say this to their children, which is just ridiculous because the kids don't get it. They just, <laughs> they just take it at face value. Well, do you think it has uh, staying good power, Good question, Derek. Derek. What do you think? I, what, I what, think what... so. The reason I like it is because, it, I mean, what you just said is... is brilliant about it being a catchphrase because it's not like what you said it's not a new word right but it's a new way of saying exactly. an old word which i think that that will have staying power we'll see what happens we'll, we'll see we'll have to touch base on this again derek in a couple of years all right really okay great well thank you so much for taking my call it was really fun to talk to you <laughs> it really, <laughs> really was it was fantastic really? <laughs> thank you sir good luck with your all studies right. bye-bye thank you take care bye-bye i love that derek's saying it to his phone <laughs> Really fun? Yeah. Well, see, you kind of get the idea about, like, I keep using this word compulsion. Yeah, yeah. It, you get the idea of, like, it seems to fit in all these normal life situations where you've, you want to protest by 
casting some doubt on the, the other part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got a catchphrase that you would like us to get to the bottom of, <laughs> give us a call. Sometimes we can help. one 929 This is going to get old fast. one 929 9673 Or email us at words at org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello. This is Dave Hartman calling from New Haven, Connecticut. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. Welcome. How are you doing? Well, how are you? Doing very well. What's up? A very interesting situation, I think, uh, unique to me. My father is a retired uh, professor of English and comparative literature uh, from Yale University, mm-hmm. and his only son has decided that police work is going to be his vocation. So cool. I joined the police academy uh, about 15 years ago. And the only thing that was of interest to my father, it seemed, was reading some of my police reports. And I uh, was very willing to show him uh, these reports. And he read one, and he looked at one word over and over again, uh, recurring in the report, and the word was complainant. And he looked at me, and he said, what is this word that I keep seeing? And I said, well, this is the person making the complaint. You know, I'm looking at him like he was daft, and, and he said, well, that's not a word. I said, well, of course it's a word. They taught us this in the police academy for the last eight months. And he said, well, there already is a word for someone who makes a complaint. And I said, well, yeah, complainant. He said, no, complainer. And we both kind of agreed that someone making a complaint as a crime victim, to call them a complainer, <laughs> would probably not be appropriate. It had a negative ring to it. Yeah, right. it sounds like right. a fetcher I was, I was or wondering what your take on that would be. Well, I'm glad to hear that you two came to the right decision on that. Uh, I would hate to try to undermine a, a respected retired Yale professor, <laughs> a, a, a particularly one who specializes in English and, and literature. Right. But but here's the thing. Complainant is legal jargon, and it belongs to that body of work, including law sure. enforcement. And so within that domain of expertise, it is the right word for that, that particular thing to mean the person who complains. And complainer feel, is not— I feel vindicated now. Yeah, oh, complain, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except in Scotland, complainer is not the right word. In, in Scotland, in their, in their courts and in their law, they use the word complainer. Um, right. So complainant right. is absolutely absolutely 100% the correct word to use. It sounds like a little a little bit like overblown language, but you you just right. nailed it. You you itemized the exact reason why we don't want to use complainer. Because uh, exactly. it sounds like you're making a personal judgment rather than a legal judgment. Yeah, well, right. yeah. And it's one of those French legal terms that comes from the French present participle, like defendant, like tenant. Uh, the complainant is the one complaining. It's, right. A, right. it's from a present participle. It's just a statement of fact. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is that complainant and complainer have long histories in English, and they forked, so to speak. That is, they split off from their common etymological ancestor a long time ago. So they've had plenty of time to take on nuance and meaning so that they are very different from each other. Right. One of the things my dad did say was that the word complainer also seems to denote somebody who does this over and over and over again. Ah, yes. Huh. Very good. Very good. Yeah, habitual I, I, complainer. I find, that, I find that nuance to be there as well in my, in my own yes. understanding. Uh-huh. All right. Well, uh, I hope we helped, Dave. You certainly have. Okay. Super duper. All Thanks right. For no calling. complaints. <laughs> Thank you very much. All righty. Bye-bye. 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 Well, if you have a linguistic complaint or a linguistic question, call us 1-877-929-9673 or send those complaints to words at waywardradio.org. Grant 
Little word puzzle for you. Okay. I'm weightless, but you can see me. Put me in a bucket, and I'll make it lighter. What am I? Air. <laughs> Put air in a bucket, and it'll be lighter? I don't know. <laughs> a hole. Oh, oh, okay, got it. A hole. That's nice. I'm weightless, but you can see me. Put me in a bucket, and I'll make it lighter. Your riddles, jokes, and pranks to words at waywardradio.org. No spam, please. Or give us a call, one 929 9673 Support for Away With Words comes from Park Manor Suites, San Diego's historic old world-style hotel next to beautiful Balboa Park. Park Manor Suites in the center of it all. Parkmanorsuites.com. And by iUniverse, supported self-publishing. Is there a book in you? Find out how to publish it at 1-800-AUTHORS or learn more online at iUniverse.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Martha, one of the ways in which you can beat people on online word games is to cheat. (laughs) (laughs) You're telling me? Yeah, I just want to say that, you know, if you want to be really good at playing Scrabble online or Mm. any kind of word search or even doing crossword puzzles. Now, why would I want to cheat? Well, okay, let's not say cheat. How about help yourself along? Okay. With some digital tools. And I've got a couple of them for you. And sometimes if you're just playing against yourself, it's it's okay. Okay. Performance enhancing digital tools. Right, right. Let me have it. So the PEDT that we're using today, one of them is called (laughs) wordnavigator.com. And what this site allows you to do is to do what's called wild carding. So let's say that I have a crossword puzzle and I've got two blank squares in the middle of it. And I I can't quite make out what the word is. Uh I can go into Word Navigator, put question marks where those two blanks are and put all the other letters that I do know. And it will come up with all the words that match putting any character where the question mark is. Does that make sense? Aha, uh-huh, sure. It comes with every possible word in English. They have, they have an immense dictionary, I guess, uh, and, it's, and it's great. It's brilliant. And so you can fill in that square and kind of move along if you're stuck. Uh, this is particularly useful for crossword puzzles, but it can also be used for Scrabble because you can go to the A Word A Day anagram server, for example, put all of your tiles for Scrabble into their anagram server, and it will come up with all the possible words that you can make. Yo! Yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. And there are other sites that do anagrams that will also tell you the ones with the highest Scrabble score, although they're not perfect. And, uh, of course, if you're playing competitively online, you know, yeah, maybe you don't want to cheat because it kind of takes the fun out of it. So in any case, these are the tools that you can use to help you along when you're doing puzzles and quizzes and crosswords online. We'll link to these on the website, wordnavigator.com, the Awarded A Anagram Server, and a couple of others just to help you along for your puzzle solving. And in the meantime, if you're puzzling over a word, give us a call, 1-877-929-9673, or you can send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Lori, and I'm calling from Lodi, Wisconsin. Well, hi, Lori. How are you doing today? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Super duper. Doing Welcome to well. the program. Finer than frogs here. And what can we do you for? Well, I am a veterinarian, and I was having a conversation with another veterinary friend of mine. It was probably like a year ago now, and nausea came up, and I said something about being nauseous. Mm-hmm. And she said, hey, you know, funny thing, I have found out she, she grew up in Wisconsin where I did, and she was in Florida at the time. And she said, I found out that nauseous means contagious, so what you're saying is you have nausea that's contagious. What you mean is that you're nauseated. And I'd never heard the distinction. And now since we had the conversation, I see nauseous everywhere. Oh, my. 
Yes. You see nauseous used in what sense? Um, in the sense that I am nauseated. Like, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, are you feeling nauseous? I've seen it on TV programs like House. I see it in novels. I, ne- I almost never see nauseated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know if it was a Midwest thing, but then when I saw it on TV, I thought, probably not. And you're, I just wonder if she's right. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right, Lori. It's, it's all over. And this is an example of, of being able to feel language shifting right underneath our feet. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's <laughs> nausea-inducing. But, but yeah, the fact is that traditionally, the traditional rule, the rule that sticklers love, is that nauseous, and you pronounce it nauseous, not nauseous, right. as you did. Nauseous means nausea-inducing. And nauseated means feeling nausea, right? Right. The problem here is that fewer and fewer people know this rule. In fact, more people now say nauseous for for feeling nauseated than the other way around, than the traditional rule. So the meaning of nauseous is clearly in the process of change. And, you know, I, I feel that some grammatical rules are really, really helpful and, and I'm very attached to them. But trying to enforce this rule is sort of the equivalent of being in your neighborhood coffee shop and, and drinking your coffee with your pinky finger <laughs> extended, you know? I just, right. it's a little precious. And when I'm talking to clients, I try and be appropriate and I try and say nauseated and I feel like I'm being pretentious. Right, right. You do this little dance around it, right? And they, and yeah. they probably say, I think little Fifi's feeling nauseous and... and <laughs> And she probably is. I mean, if somebody tells me they're feeling nauseous, I'm definitely going to step out of the way. You know, I mean, I mean, the, the meaning is clear enough, don't you think? Right. Yes. Yeah. And I just I, I haven't really seen anyone use nauseated since I've become aware of it. Hmm. Yeah, that's not surprising. In British data, nauseous meaning affected with nausea. Um, occurs about 65% of the time, and in American data, 85% of the time. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's definitely so very changing. few people are saying nauseated that way. So I'm not being overly naughty if I go back to using nauseous? No. Ooh, ooh, are we going to get in trouble with the grammar police? <laughs> They've got no guns, it doesn't matter. <laughs> They've just well, got little hats. I'm sure some of them do. <laughs> Little hat, little badge. <laughs> well, I, I think you're perfectly fine going with the, the mainstream on this. Yeah. Nauseous. Yeah. Nauseous. Yes, totally you're, fine. You're ahead of the curve. It's Nauseous gonna, to it's, mean feeling nauseated. Yeah. Go ahead, Lori, and use it, all right? Okay. Okay. I just wanted to check with you guys. Well, if your friends have a problem with it, you just send them to us, okay? I will. All right. That's right. We'll be on your way and vomit freely. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks. Take Bye-bye. Care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. If you have a question about language, call us 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Liz from Richardson, Texas. Hello, Liz from Richardson. Yes. What's up, Liz? Well, I was calling about the suffix ish. Now, I've seen it in normal words like English or famish or peckish, but I've noticed that Many people, including myself, are now using it for things like greenish, like that's a greenish car, or meet me at three-ish, which doesn't seem to be standard English to me. And so I was just wondering how this came about into our everyday language and what ish actually means. Aha, very interesting. So you you feel like this is a new phenomenon that the... um, the application of the suffix ish to t- 
times and colors is, is something recent? Well, uh, I became aware of it recently. Whether it's been around before then, uh, I don't know. That was a setup. I was setting you up for so I could give you the big reveal. And the big reveal is <laughs> that uh, adding it to colors is one of the oldest uses of that suffix in English. Okay. And adding it to times is, is somewhat more recent. You can find records of it as far back as uh, 100 or, or more years ago. And probably that has more to do with keeping accurate time wasn't quite so common then as it is now. So ish was always the case rather than the exception to the case, you know? Well, I have a perfectly good timepiece, and I always say ish because I'm usually late. (laughs) Right. There's Martha time, and then there's everyone else's time. (laughs) I understand. The interesting thing about ish is that it it does more than one job. You can use it attached to a noun to mean like that thing. So I can say that uh, the building was not a house, but it was kind of house-ish, meaning it was kind of like a house, right? But the thing is, some things don't work like that. I could, If I called you bookish, that doesn't mean you're like a book, right? No, it means mm. I like books. Yeah, it means right. that you like And so they, they behave different ways. There, there's a lot of work been done on the suffix because it's so productive, as they say, in the creation of new words. The ish suffix is so prevalent that you can attach it to an incredible number of words, mostly nouns, but sometimes phrases, and come up with a lot of new words. And sometimes those new words are temporary where we just use it for a moment, like house-ish. And sometimes they become established. Like, if I say that you're peckish, well, peckish kind of stands alone. We don't really use peck very much anymore to mean to eat, right? Or okay, to have anything to do with food, right? I thought that peck was like a, a basket size. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's true. It, it means pecking at your food, right? Uh, right, yeah. It's but like it comes from pecking, right? Yeah. So we use it in common things like to say that you're Irish, you know, because that's a nationality. And that's perfectly ordinary, right? It means that you're of the Irish or like the Irish or you are Irish. We also use it for long sentences. I could say, um, and we were arguing and we was talking and then she gave me this look that was kind of all like, don't give me any of that stuff-ish. You know, I can attach ish to a phrase. So ish is incredibly interesting in, in terms of its productivity. It's got a, a fundamental role in suggesting that something is kind of like something else or maybe even a lot like something else. Cool? So the language is a lot bigger than we even think, right? Oh, it's massive. Dictionaries, don't, no dictionary, including the Oxford English Dictionary, no dictionary comes close to including every word that can exist in English. Liz, thank you so much for giving us a ring. Well, thank you. Okay, thanks Take for coming. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Maybe you don't want to call about a word. You want to call about a part of a word. That's okay. Call us about your prefixes, your suffixes, your infixes, any of your affixes. one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven wayward Or pop us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Tom. Calling from Burlington, Vermont. What, what can we do for you? Well, I, I've run across this phrase. I've only heard two people in the world that I know utter this phrase. I've never heard it from anybody else, and I don't really know what it means. Well, I know what it means in context when my mom says it, but I I want to know uh, if it's just something in our family or if it's, if it's something a little more common than that. The phrase is journey proud. And should I use it in a sentence or, or yeah, quote please. my mother? Yeah, please I, do. I seldom quote my mother, but um, <laughs> I, I, I often have her voice in my head every day, but anyway. <laughs> She'll say something like, gee, I didn't sleep very well last night before the trip because I was journey proud. Ah. Journey proud. And what does she mean by that? Um, She means that she's uh, restless, nervous, tense, excited about about a a trip. And it's usually 
the night before a trip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tom, and her mother used to say it. And her mother said it, too. Yeah. Okay, this is great. This is one of these ding, 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 ding moments when somebody brings an expression to the show that I've read about, but I've never heard anybody use. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read about this, and it's so great. I mean, isn't it fantastic to have a term for that feeling? I think we've all felt that feeling, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that oh, yeah. keeps you up at night, right? Before yeah, the, yeah. Right. The one night that you need a lot of sleep before yeah. you get on the plane, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I don't know about you guys, but it, but when I'm packing my car that morning before I go on a trip or I'm headed to the airport, I don't know. For me, life just feels different. The air seems clearer and the colors seem sharper, at least on a trip that I want to go uh, on. The possibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you, you just feel awake in a way that you don't ordinarily feel awake and you feel too excited to eat. And then, and then of course, you get to the airport and there are all these... You know, <laughs> Cinnabons and stuff. Right, right, right. <laughs> the smell of that. But yeah, I'm so excited that you brought this word to the show, Tom, because yes, you hear it mostly in the South, but you're in Vermont, right? Is that where your mom was from? Uh, my mom was born in Massachusetts and raised in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and my grandmother was, was also uh, born in Massachusetts and lived most of her adult life in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, you do find it in pockets of New England. And I think the key here to this expression, journey proud, is that proud, we usually think of it in terms of pride, but it can also be used as an adjective in certain dialects to mean pleased or delighted. And one of my favorite citations for that is one from 1895 in the Tennessee mountains. Somebody said, she'll be proud to have her tooth stop aching. Oh. So so it, it's pleased or glad or excited, and I just love this expression, journey proud. I only came across it a few years ago, but uh, is there any other expression like that in English? I haven't heard it. <laughs> journey proud, J-O-U-R-N-E-Y-P-R-O-U-D. Two words, right? Yeah. Huh. Well, you've just uh, given, given a gift, a verbal gift to a lot of people who needed a term for that. Well, that was... That's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad I could give a gift that was so inexpensive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom. Uh-huh. Thanks for calling. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. If your grandma used a word and you don't understand what it meant, why don't you talk about it with us? Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Yes. Uh, my name is Stan Stackhouse. Uh, I'm calling from Indianapolis. I'm interested in the term blue dog Democrat. I gather that that it means conservative, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, uh, beyond that, you know, I'd never heard the term before, and I'm wondering just um, how it came about and what you could tell me about it. Uh-huh. Well, you've got the right guy here. So do you know the term yellow dog Democrat? No, I'm sorry, I don't. All right. Well, Blue Dog Democrat is kind of the inheritor of the tradition. Blue Dog Democrat it came about in the mid-'90s during the Newt Gingrich era when he was in more in power and more to the fore in politics. And these were people who who realized that they weren't completely in line with the Democratic Party views, but nor were they in line with the Republican Party views. These are all Democrats, mind you. And so after the Republicans became a majority, they kind of formed a coalition, which they called the Blue Dog Coalition. Now, the idea was, according to William Sapphire's Political Dictionary, and I'm, I'm kind of summarizing here, the idea was that they were 
choked blue by their party in the years leading up to the 1994 election. So these were people who had felt a little constrained because they were more conservative than the the middle reaches of the Democratic Party. I see. Okay. So, but there's a, there's another layer to that. There's a you ever heard of the artist George Rodrique? R O D R I G U E. The name's familiar, but I'm betting you've seen his work, even if you don't realize you've seen it. Okay. And he's done this painting of this really now it's a really famous painting of this blue dog. It's got literally blue fur. The ears are perked up as if it's just her, you know, a, a deer in the woods or um, its master call its name or something. And yellow eyes and the head's cocked a little bit and it's looking at you and it's kind of a it's a little creepy, right, Martha? Just a Yeah, it is. It is. He's a Cajun artist. He's he's of Cajun descent and lives in Louisiana and he did this um a whole series. I mean, one painting after another of his dear departed dog and he he also painted some things that were mythical topics that had to do with Cajun lore and one of them was the Lugaroo or the Rugaroo which was this sort of werewolf kind of character and this dog looks kind of haunting but also really cute so you you know you, there was a time when you when Stan when you'd see this blue dog in postcards and posters I mean every little gift shop had notebooks and the things with this dog was everywhere it's kind of a standalone icon of a sort of a I don't know it's just art that people liked I guess in any case so yeah. the uh, the blue dog coalition said that that's where they got the idea for the blue dog and when they think about the blue dog that's the blue dog they think of but of course they were also thinking of yellow dog democrats and these are the kind of the opposite of blue dog democrats and that they are completely loyal to the party they're, the joke is that they're so loyal that if the democratic party nominated a yellow dog to run for office they would vote for that dog uh-huh. Okay. So they're kind of playing off that older term, and that's that term is what I don't know, a uh, hundred years old more or less. I just never heard the term blue dog, so I'm happy to know what it's about. <laughs> well, we are happy to help. I'll put some links online to some more information about the blue dog Democrats and about blue dogs and George Rodriguez. Yeah, his little dog was named Tiffany, and it was a boy dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks so much for calling, Stan. Yes, thank you so much for your answers. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you have a question about a political term, call us 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Support for Away With Words comes from National University. Change your future today. Find out how at nu.edu. And by MoseyPro Online Backup for Businesses. Visit mozy.com slash words. Things have come to a pretty pass Our romance is growing flat For you. That's our show for this week If you didn't get on the air today You can leave us a message anytime The number's 1-877-929-9673 Or email us The address is words at waywardradio.org Or drop by Away With Words online You can chat with fellow word lovers By going to waywardradio.org Slash discussion Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell, Jennifer Powell, and Danutz Yetz. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from San Francisco, I'm Grant Barrett. Thanks to Howard Gelman for engineering our show from the studios of KQED Radio. Ganal Oz, that's so long spelled backwards. And Soida, that's adios. Bye-bye. Let's call the whole thing off. You like potato and I like potato. You like
Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.